0: welcome to the determined truth podcast what the truth you can't handle the truth where we aim to explore questions of truth the scriptures and what it means for the church today here are your hosts rob dalrymple and Vinny angelo hey everyone welcome to the podcast it is still revelation 13 week for the last number of weeks (laughs) i guess 70 weeks or 69 weeks plus one rob is currently standing in shorts outside in sunny arizona and I'm in a very cold 47 degree northern California, which I, I call 40. I call that cold. There's people listening probably in Minnesota or something. They're like, I'd love, I'd be in shorts outside if it was 47 degrees. But uh, yeah, let's continue back into. Yeah, it's
1: not 47. It might be more like 74 here. Same
0: numbers. Same thing. I would love. Not much of a difference at all. That sounds beautiful. We, we've been going through the beasts until we just started getting into the mark of the beast, and we didn't want to rush yeah. that. So we're going to spend Run a little more time on that today, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And and let me make a note of here at the beginning, Vinny, and that is part of what we discussed a number of weeks ago, I wrote a commentary in the book of Revelation that's still undergoing publication right now. And as we discussed, one of the friends of mine, a a scholar that reviewed the the, the commentary for me, got all done, said he liked the commentary and what have you. And then he said, okay, great. Now, who or what's the beast today? Mm. And I replied to him, I said, I didn't address that in the commentary because the commentary is mostly dealing with what does the text say and all that. But So I've been processing that question, obviously, for a long time anyways, uh, as we've discussed. And I've been processing that, obviously, in my blog. So if you're listening to this somewhat early 2024, you can go to the the, the Determined Truth blog uh, and see the post that I've been making there. But I want the the listeners to understand that I think we're processing, too. It's it's not like we're coming on and saying, here's the answer. Mm -hmm. It's we're trying to process what this ancient text means. And then go, and now, what does this look like in modern garb? And one of the points that we made was, it seems really obvious, looking at Revelation 13, what the beast was back then. It's Rome, it's near. But as we noted, John's listeners and readers are going, what? Are you serious? Oh, it it wasn't apparent to them. So John's like, hey, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. The one who has wisdom should have understanding, should calculate the number. You, you, You can figure this out. And I think in the same way, then, that we might stop and go, yeah, and what the beast is and looks, and beast one and, and beast two is the false prophet, today is also a difficult task, and we need to process this and understand this and discern this, and we might say things that are challenging to you that you might never have heard before, and just process and think, and let's figure this out.
0: Very good. So should we read the text and get That'd into be it? great. Sure. Chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. Do we want to go into 14 today?
1: Yeah, we're going to try to go into 14.5 and you can at least read 14.1 okay. for right now. Okay. Uh, and then we'll
0: go through two, two through five later. Okay. So this is Revelation 13, starting at verse 11, and we'll finish out the chapter. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. chapter 14, then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads.
1: That's pretty self-explanatory. We probably don't even, we can just make this yeah. a short podcast today. Exactly. Like if you can't figure exactly, this out. It plainly states what Gosh, is to be This is a third grade lesson here. <laughs> I just need like a
0: felt board with some, uh, <laughs> yeah. flannel that's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. We're hearing this and I'm thinking of images of, yep, lord of the rings or like mm. some crazy sci-fi type movie some sort of science fiction middle age type thing because i'm importing my own culture and yeah, my own yeah yeah type, type yeah. of thinking on this and just what i've learned in church life over the evangelical culture over the last 40 years what would john's audience like when they're hearing this being read right. what are they hearing
1: let's start with uh beast number two so in, in chapter 16 verse 13 it, it says the dragon the beast and the false prophet. It's, pretty clear that the second beast is named the false prophet later on. And certainly the description of him here or it here, whatever you want to use there, applies to the the false prophet. So as we said last week, we'll call this beast number two, the false prophet. Now, the, one of the difficulties with discerning the false prophet, and this might be a little bit of review from last week's discussion on the, on beast number two or the false prophet, is the fact that we have this strong, what we think at least is this divide. We separate religion and politics. We don't mm-hmm. discuss those two things at Thanksgiving, except for that uncle that has to always talk about politics, and we try not to sit next to him at the dinner table. But in the ancient world, you don't do that. In the ancient world, religion, politics, economics was all part of the same thing. The religion of the empire, the cult of Rome, as we discussed with a number of scholars, David De Silva on, and we discussed in our discussion of the seven messages in chapters two and three. And so, what you have here then is another wing of the empire. So, if the beast is empire, And again, remember, empire would just be like any nation or power. If the second beast or the false prophet then is the religious wing of the empire, maybe the propaganda wing of the empire, the the wing of the empire that causes you to give allegiance to the beast. In our modern day, we can even say the media is subject to that. Mm. You can even say, I think a lot of churches are subject to that. Religions are, are subject to that. So remember in the Roman world that the emperor was put in power by the gods This is the propaganda. And he was put in power by the gods. And if you don't worship the emperor, then you're undermining the gods. The emperor's responsibility is to keep order in the empire and maintain the empire. And if you don't do that, then the gods might bring famine or earthquakes or invasions. So the whole economic survival, the whole uh, militaristic survival of the empire was all combined into this following and obedience to the imperial cult. Mm -hmm. so you could say that beast number two is the imperial cult but i think it transcends that because notice this beast is exercising the authority of the first beast verse 13 he performs signs which you think of pharaoh's magicians back in the Mm -hmm. moses story where they cause their staff to make a serpent as well he deceives verse 14 those who dwell on the earth because of the signs Uh, and so there's deception it's propaganda which even could be like the media to some extent but as well as christian theology sometimes I, i think we have to understand not just secular theology and ideology, worldviews, and how they influence us, but I think we have to remember that the aim of this is to deceive the church. That's why the, the exhortation is to watch out. If you have wisdom, calculate this. If anyone has an ear, let them hear And verses 9 and 10 that we discussed uh, on a previous episode. So I think so that's let, the first let, thing then. Yeah, go well, ahead. Let, let,
0: let me ask you something on yeah. this then just to summarize it or to see if maybe another illustration works. I, I think we're taught popularly to read Revelation and we're trying to decode. So who is this yeah, beast? Right. Who is this beast? Who is this thing? Who is that thing? And so the first thing you're saying is this one beast might, not the first beast, the second beast, but any of them, the beast itself might not correlate to one thing or institution. We should be looking at this almost like an aggregate, like it's a combination of things and it, it could pull from many areas. And and then with that, we also get hung up on, since we're looking at who is the beast, we're focusing on that and not actually paying attention to what is the beast doing.
1: Yes, and, and that, yeah, for point. me, that
0: strikes me as like the bigger issue is we miss yes. the point of what are they actually trying to do? Who cares what they are? What are they doing? So let's guard against that.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, very much. And, and the answer is deception. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to deceive. So even when you look at the first beast, remember the first beast is empowered by the dragon and Satan is the deceiver, the serpent of old, the deceiver. So we understand the whole idea of this is that the primary weapon is going to be deception. The primary weapon of the beast and the beast one and of the false prophet is this deception. And it's ultimately the church that he's trying to bring that deception into. I think that would be an important thing, thing to know.
0: But it's funny too, I'm just thinking about this in other letters, like I'm thinking like first John or the letters that are warning of infiltration of Mm -hmm. false teachers. In those instances, we're usually not worried about the identification. We're saying, okay, watch out for what these false teachers are going to do. Watch out for the wolf in sheep clothing. Who cares who the wolf is? Watch out what they're going to do. Why don't we apply that same application to revelation? We're so hung up on, I don't know, just the excitement of the, anyway, it, yeah, it's just no, the it, first time i've ever thought about this, so this yeah, is
1: yeah even jesus's sermon matthew 23 mark 13 luke 17 yep. and 21 it, it begins with i'm looking at mark 13 verse 6 right now verse 5 see to it that no one misleads you that's the yes. first words yep. of the speech mm-hmm. many will come in my name saying i am he and will mislead many then the next verses you'll hear wars and rumors of wars but it begins with deception and be careful be on your guard watch out well, watch out for what for the false teaching and false ideology. And I think that's one of the big issues. And I think the point that I want to make, as I I said at the beginning, we're processing this ourselves together with our listeners, is I think that deception has infiltrated the church far more than we think. Sure. Remembering John's readers had far more deception than they actually thought to. And maybe I'll go here for a second. In Revelation 17, we're going to actually get a little bit more detail about the beast, about his seven heads and his 10 horns. We'll save that, beast number one. We'll save that for later on uh, when we get to 17. But in 17, it's it's this harlot, Babylon, uh, who it says at the end of chapter 17, the very last verse says, the woman whom you saw is the great city that reigns over the kings of the earth. It's Rome. But it's maybe the commercial side of Rome, the, the economic side of Rome, the prosperity side of Rome, the goods, the pleasures, the wealth, the material side of Rome. But notice that John is told in the beginning of chapter 17, it says, come, let me show you the judgment of the great harlot. And says, and then he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. Mm -hmm. We've talked about how John uses words Mm -hmm. to link passages together. And I'll have to look up how many times the word wilderness occurs. I I think it's only a couple. I didn't look it up beforehand because I wasn't planning on going there. But notice that the wilderness is where the woman in chapter Mm -hmm. 12 was Mm -hmm. taken. She had a place prepared by God in the wilderness. And then we noted in chapter 12 that the dragon pursues her. Even though it says that the woman was taken into the wilderness so that she could be from the presence of the serpent. Let me go ahead and pull Revelation 12 up. um, Revelation 12, verse 14. The two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Mm. Oh, cool. She's protected from the serpent. But the next verse is, the serpent poured water out of its mouth like a river after the woman. So wait a minute. The serpent's there. And then you go to Revelation chapter 17, and you realize John has to be taken to a wilderness. to see, That's verse 3. He carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. It's the same beast. So the point of that is, where we are, where the church is located, where God's people are located, is where the beast, mm-hmm. is where the harlot, is, is where the dragon is. We are in the midst of the same location where all of the enemies of God's people are. So we shouldn't be surprised that this is infiltrating the church or, or persecuting the church and opposing the church. And even the deception of the church has influenced God's people. And I, I think and that's, that's because the
0: dragon, the beast, all false teachers, all these things, their job isn't to deceive the world. They've already deceived, the world's already deceived. So right. You don't think that we're the safe haven and we're excluded from this. No, this is the area that it's trying to attack because this is where it does not have dominion anymore.
1: Yeah, no, let me know. By the way, also, yeah, exactly. But in in saying that, that doesn't mean that you and I, we figured out all the places where we've been deceived. Sure. And so we're processing this going, hey, Mm -hmm. it looks like we've been deceived over here. And I've been saying this for a long time. On live streams, again, this is late 2023, beginning of 2024. You and I did the live stream last week. Last week, as you and I are airing this, would be three or four weeks before this goes live. On Israel-Gaza, and what I've been saying is, when Christians are crying for war, and demanding war, and encouraging war, and supporting war, as the United States is doing, and the Church is supporting the United States in this, against Gaza, we are. I think we've been deceived by the beast. War mm-hmm. is not what God's people are supposed to do. We're supposed to cry for peace mm-hmm. and for justice. And again, as we've said, it doesn't mean that war cannot be justified. I, I don't think. We, I don't think the church should ever condone war, support war. It doesn't mean that nations can't go to war. It just means the church should be the ones crying for justice and peace. And now we're seeing, you know, twenty thousand, thirty thousand, way more people that have died in Gaza, um, and. 500,000 people on the brink of starvation and a thousand people, as we said on the, on the live stream, a thousand children that have had amputations without anesthesia. Mm. Um, This kind of stuff should not be happening. Gaza is ruined. It's destroyed and there's no going back. And I think the church's support of that is an, is an instance in which we've been deceived by the beast. The beast makes war. That's what he
0: does. And we should not be supporting that. Yeah. So when it comes to the beast, it it gives us an identification at the end of chapter 10, verse 18, it says the number, it's the number of a man and his number is 666. So what would have John's audience, primarily Jewish Christians, but probably a lot of Gentile Christians as well, what are they going to think of when they hear this number? And are, are they looking for barcodes at supermarkets or what are they doing here?
1: Okay. So I said this at the end of last week and maybe a few times prior to that, There's no question in my mind that they would have known that this was Nero, the number 666. Again, remember, the idea that this number is some futuristic thing on a barcode, as we've discussed, doesn't make any sense because John's readers are told, or hearers, they are told, here is wisdom. The one who has understanding is to calculate the number of the beast, meaning you guys can figure this out. It had to have some meaning in the first century world. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't also have meaning in the 21st century, but it had to have meant something in the first century world. And the answer is, it was Nero. There's pretty much a good consensus amongst the scholarly community that 666 was Nero. And the way we get Nero out of this, and it's very evident that John's using this, and you and I talked offline with John's use of numbers and the sophisticated ways that John's using numbers there, and we won't get into that here, but it's very apparent that he's using numbers in a very significant way. And there's an ancient practice called tria, where it ascribes a numerical value to letters of the alphabet. Now, I don't know if your Hebrew textbook did that, Vinny, or your Mm -hmm. Greek textbook did that, but I know Mm -hmm. mine did. Very commonly, aleph in Hebrew is a, -A -A, that's one, Mm beta is two, or alpha, beta, gamma, one, two, three, one through 10, then 20, 30, 40, and then 100, and then 500, 1,000, depending on how many letters are in the alphabet. Okay, so there's a numerical value for the letters of Hebrew and the letters of Greek. That's just simply the way it was. So there's actually graffiti that was discovered in Pompeii. Remember, the Mount Vesuvius erupted mm-hmm. and basically destroyed the, the city of Pompeii, but it preserved it like people had food in their mouths or in their stomachs. So they found a graffiti on, on one of the walls it sa- where it says, I love the girl whose number is 545. Five. Mm. Okay. So this is a common practice and was known. It was a way of saying, I'm going to give it to you in code, but you know the code. Now, certainly, there could be a number of girls whose number was Mm 545, so the guy was a little bit protected, but nonetheless, notice that John says that the mark of the beast represents either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the deal. We actually know that the numerical equivalent of the word beast, which is therion in Greek, when that word is transliterated into Hebrew, so you take therion, the Greek letters, and you make the Hebrew equivalent letters, it actually comes up to 666. So the name of the beast, the word beast itself, actually comes up to 666 from Greek into Hebrew. And this may account for the first part, then, that it's the name of the beast. Transliterating, by the way, the difference between transliterating and translating is to translate, you would say the Greek word therion means beast in English. Uh Uh-huh. To transliterate means the Greek word therion would be T-H-E-R-I-O-N.
0: We do this all the time. We, we say the yeah. word amen, which is yeah. in Greek or Hebrew is amen. It, or hallelujah. Exactly. Or there's the, there's, yeah, there's yeah. a few words, yeah, that we, we carry over. So we, we, we already do
1: this. Th- that's correct. That's right. Mm. Even Christ. Yes. It's Christ, Christ, Christ is not a translation. Mm. Christ is the yeah. Greek word. Messiah mm. is the Hebrew word. Yes. The English yeah. translation would be the anointed one. You might even say the king if you want, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's ultimately the the anointed one. Uh, That's correct. So Christ is just a transliteration, and translation would be the anointed one. Uh, Exactly. Mm -hmm. So now, you might think, wait a minute, you have to transliterate the word beast from Greek into Hebrew, and then you get 666. And the answer is, John does this several times. In chapter 9, referring to the the demonic locust. he says, they have his king over them, the angel of the best. Whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon, mm-hmm. and even the famous Armageddon passage mm-hmm. is actually it's not Greek; it's, yeah. it's Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. In chapter sixteen, verse sixteen, it says, "They gather them together to the place that in Hebrew is called mm-hmm. Har or, or Armageddon." We'll discuss that, that later on. So the idea that John's using the, the Greek word in the Hebrew. It's because the Greek word itself doesn't go up to 666, but when you put it in Hebrew, it does. And John knew the importance of 666 as we discussed uh, on our last episode there.
0: Hey everyone, we want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we want to remind you that everything we provide at Determined Truth is free of charge. And this even includes all of the teaching that Rob does on a weekly basis to pastors in India and around the world. We don't have any supporters that get special behind the scenes access. But we can only do this with the generous support that comes from those of you who can afford to give. So if you would prayerfully consider supporting us with anything from $5 a month or more, we will continue to work hard to challenge the church to be the church. To give, go to DeterminedTruth.com and click on the Give tab or follow the link in the show notes. Interesting. Now, I remember though, when I was taking New Testament survey in seminary and we get to revelation and we, I remember this the first time my professor ever went through and said, Hey, look at your bottom of your Bibles. Cause oftentimes there'll be a footnote that says some manuscripts don't read 666. They'll read 616. Correct. And I thought that was a really interesting point, but it was confusing because 666 is just a, such a popular uh, number and right. association. What do what we, what, what's happening there? What does that even mean?
1: Okay, so this is where we think even more concretely that this is actually Nero, also. So, Uh, this is actually a good thing to prove it's actually a good thing to support the idea that it's Nero. Okay, because as I'm going to discuss here in a second, that the name Nero comes up to 666, but you actually have to take his Greek name and then go into Latin and then translate it into Hebrew. So, the Greek name is Nero, N E R O, Mm -hmm. that would be transliterating it. The Latin name is Nerone with an mm. N at the end of it. That N in the Hebrew has a, a numerical equivalent of fifty. So, in other words, Nero, N E R O, the Greek equivalent in the Hebrew comes up to six hundred and sixteen. But transliterating it into Hebrew, into Latin, and then uh, translating the, the Latin name into Hebrew comes up to six hundred and sixty-six. Mm. And it appears that some scribes later on go were thinking. We know it's Nero, but Nero is 616. Mm. And they may have thought, this is our suspicion, how do you account for the manuscript difference? We know that the older manuscripts say 666. Some of the later ones come along and they change it. Why would someone change it? That's the question you have to ask. If it's 616, why would they change it to 666? If it's 666, why would they change it to 616? And the answer is, it makes more sense that they changed it to 616 because Nero's name in Greek, transliterated into Hebrew, is 616. Mm -hmm. So it appears that even the early scribes knew, hey, it's Nero, but his
0: number is 616. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, sure. I have a question on this too, and I don't know if it even matters on anything, but when it comes to the numbers, like if I'm looking at my my cell phone number, I'm I'm not going to give the whole thing out here, but like it ends in 7901. It doesn't mean 7901. It's just the the four digits, 7901. Is this number, is there a difference between, is it 666 or is it 666? Is there a designation there? Yeah, the Greek actually says 666. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah, it does not repeat the number six over three times. It's 666. And the letters N-E-R-O-N in the Hebrew come up to 666. So actually, that okay. specify 666. But when you see all Testament examples, you can see them. like I, We alluded briefly to the beast. I think it's the image in uh, Daniel chapter 3, I believe it is, where there's actually yeah. 60 and uh-huh. 6 and uh-huh. another 6. Hmm. And it seems like the author may be re- using this 666 idea. Certainly we referred to Solomon and 666 talents of gold. When you read the Old Testament, by the way, just that's so obvious because they so often just round off a thousand talents of gold, 500 talents. When you specify 666, the other, hey guys, I want you to see the number here. He's rounding off the 666. It's really obvious there. So yeah, that's right.
0: okay one thing that we've spent so much time talking about is how important numbers are specifically in revelation and how they are usually identified with things or people or or whatever seven we know is identified with god as is three so is there a significance we've talked about how there's a parody of this unholy trinity should we see 666 in contrast to i don't think we see this anywhere in the text but a 777
1: yeah that's probably correct And we we have to say probably because the text doesn't say it, but it seems that if God's a trinity, which obviously John seems certainly to be working with chapter one, you know, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. no no doubt about it. Then you would assume that the divine number will be seven, seven, seven. As often as seven is used for the divine. Now, remember, seven can be used for evil when it's trying to impersonate good. So the dragon has seven heads and ten horns and or the, the beast has seven heads the dragon has yeah no the dragon has seven heads also and so the beast has yeah seven heads and 10 horns you see them imitating christ or the he had two horns like a lamb but he looked but he sounded like a dragon he's imitating christ that's why it's two there mm-hmm. but the 666 is johns way of probably of saying hey guys this is satan's effort to imitate god but not making it there coming up short the idea of being 666
0: mm-hmm. okay in that verse in back to verse 18 he leads off by saying this calls for wisdom or the NRS. Yeah. NRS, actually uh, said the same thing. Something about here's this wisdom saying, let the one having a mind calculate the number. Like, how are they in receiving that? Is this like a challenge to the people or what is this?
1: Again, that goes back then to what we said before. And that is there's an exhortation here to John's readers or hearers. And again, that one person read it, everybody else heard it, but that we all understand what we mean to you can figure this out. It presumes that the answer was not obvious to them, as we've been discussing. But if they just think about it, they can figure it out. And you can imagine them going, okay, is it this guy? Is it mm-hmm. this guy? Is it Vespasian? Is it Titus? Oh, what, wait, Nero. Hey, this works, but we got to make it from Greek into Hebrew first. Hey, that, that, that must be the answer. I think that's what John's getting at. He's Look, guys, if you have wisdom, figure this out.
0: So is this going back to chapter one, verse three? Blessed are those who hear and keep what it what's happening here. It's it's hearing, it's not just hearing like the sound waves are passing over my eardrums, but I'm hearing it, I'm understanding it, I'm heeding it, and I'm then doing it. it. Would would you put it with that? I
1: wouldn't completely make that association. I think that's an okay. ethical call to carry out what okay. I'm telling you to do. Okay. This is an intellectual call to figure out and discern what it is. And then the ethical call is come out of her my people. The, the ethical call is. Don't follow the beast. Don't give allegiance to the beast. Give mm-hmm. your allegiance to Christ.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, good question. So, John originally does not write in chapter and verse divisions. Yes. So, yes. he doesn't say, okay, I'm done with chapter eight or verse 18. I'm going to finish up 13 and put it away. He, he just continues writing the story. So, we then immediately go into chapter 14. So, it, the number of the man, its number is 666. Then I looked. And behold, on Mount Zion stood exactly. the lamb with his 144,000. So you have this contrast of right. uh, of this number. I, I just think it's interesting, the, the number of this man, which is 666. But then you have this 144,000, which is recalling from chapter 7, I'm assuming. It's the same yeah. group of people.
1: It, it is the same group from chapter 7. There's no way of, the, of denying that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, exactly. That chapter break can be misleading mm-hmm. when we fail to, to read chapter 14, verse 1 with chapter 13, verses 17 and 18.
0: Because this is also showing that the beast is an approximation with the 144,000 of the lamb. It's like he's here, and, but he looks over here. And I, I'm assuming that th- this is a spatially close proximity. I
1: don't, I would look at it in the sense that the followers of the beast are now being contrasted with the followers of the lamb.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The
1: one who has the mark of the beast, the one who has the seal of God. And we'll look
0: at that in a few minutes. Okay. So he saw with the lamb standing one hundred and who is standing with jesus how do we identify these people what do we make by zion is this popularly referring to end time stuff where this is where jesus is going to yeah, yeah. r- return to so this is where this battle this is where armageddon that you had mentioned uh, a little bit ago uh, is this what we should be thinking of that's happening here yeah, so again
1: imagery? it's imagery and you have this immediate contrast between the followers of the lamb and the followers of the beast and then I looked and I saw the Lamb, behold, standing on Mount Zion and within the 144,000. This is all of God's people, as we discussed before. It's not a limited group. Uh, and we can argue that in, in detail. And I've done that in print. Also, that the 144,000 is all of God's people. That's 12 and 12. So it's Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. Uh, and uh, Zion itself actually becomes synonymous with the city of Jerusalem. And then actually Zion, initially it referred to the Temple Mount, where the temple was. But then it becomes the entire city of Jerusalem. So it can actually be referred to in a couple of different ways. If you go there today to modern-day Israel and you go to Jerusalem, Mount Zion is actually one part of the city, mm. uh, more towards the western part of the city ultimately. But nonetheless, so in, in Psalm 2, verse 6, Zion is the mountain that got where God dwelt. And since the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is where God dwelt, that becomes zion and then the city of jerusalem becomes associated with the dwelling place of god as well so um, john seeing the lamb standing on mount zion then in chapter 14 verse 1 indicates that the lamb is indeed the promised king he's the one on mount zion he's the one that's the that's the world's true king uh, and it stands in contrast to the beast and his blasphemous claims
0: and then he's standing with 144,000
1: yes and 144,000 again then contrast those are the mark of the beast Now note, the word mark actually occurs seven times in the book Mm -hmm. of Revelation. But in each time, it refers to loyalty to the beast. The idea that the mark is located on the forehead uh, or the right hand probably indicates loyalty to the beast. Uh, There's the idea of ownership, like slaves were often branded on their forehead. And so they have this mark saying this is who they give their loyalty to. We used the word allegiance last week. Mm -hmm. The idea of to whom do you give your allegiance. It's not a literal mark any more than the seal of God's a literal mark. On the foreheads of the righteous Uh, but the fact that it could be placed in the right hand also suggested this economic incentive this economic implications of it and it says specifically you cannot buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast verse 17 he provides that no one of chapter 13 he provides that no one is able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark of the beast Mm. so i think that's the idea of of the mark now there's little doubt though if you just keep looking that the mark of the beast on the followers of the beast mimics, imitates the seal of God or is contrasted by the seal of God in the one, of the 144,000. And note the contrast. First off, the mark of the beast contrasts the seal of God is evident by the fact that the 144,000 are directly introduced in 14.1 right after 13, verse 8 and as those who have his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. So you have the name of the beast or the number of his name and then the 144,000 have his name, or the name of his father on the foreheads. Then you have the mark and the seal both indicate ownership of some nature, allegiance, the word that I would use there. Both the mark and the seal represent the name, either the name of the beast or the name of Christ and and the name of the father. Uh, And then they both have these economic implications. Note, as I just mentioned, that you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. But if you keep looking down, we haven't read that far yet, but in chapter 14, verses three, it says, the 104,000 are those who've been purchased from the earth. And note the economic term purchased. And then again, it repeats it in verse 4. These have been purchased from among God, from among men, as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. So they both, it's clear that they're contrasting one another. And if the seal of God is the Holy Spirit, sign of that we're owned by God, a promise of God's Spirit, it's not a literal mark, then the mark of the beast is not a literal mark either. It's just to whom do you give your allegiance
0: so we need, it's its imperative to understand the seal yeah. of God with the mark of the beast. This as, is as, as using synonymous terms in a sense. And if, yeah, so antithetical terms. Oh. Yeah. So I've never heard, you never hear about the, when we're talking about popularly the book of Revelation, you never hear about the seal of the 144,000 <laughs> uh, because no one's looking for a seal. What does that mean? We could spiritualize right. that, but we're always looking for that physical mark, which we'll continue to talk about, I think for a few seconds. But it's it's looking for the wrong thing when we're looking for a literal mark, because it's more about allegiance. Who do I belong to? Do I belong to God or do I belong to the beast is, is what it's saying. It's ownership.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you can see Christians being concerned about, oh no, don't get the mark, don't get the mark, and mm-hmm. looking for all the wrong, oh, it's the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, mm-hmm. or oh, mm-hmm. it's this, or oh, you got to give your allegiance to Russia or to the communist leader or yep. you know some imperial empire, right? and, and not seeing America as the beast also, because we're the good guys. You can also see people thinking, oh, if they get the mark of the beast and you don't witness to them because they can never be saved, because if you have the mark of the beast, you're mm-hmm. damned to hell. It says that in chapter 14, that those who have the mark, it's, stop, we all had the mark of the beast at one point in time Mm. before we had the faith in Christ, and guess what? The danger is that all of us will be susceptible to the mark of the beast. The idea of giving in to economic consequences and to compromising our faith for economic security is a real threat for all of us. The idea of giving in and compromising our faith so that we won't be persecuted is real for all of us. The idea of compromising our faith so I can have more comfort. Mm. This is the American church. Is very real for all of us, so I think the idea of the, it being a literal mark not only leads us astray and gives us anxiety about things we shouldn't have anxiety about, but actually is part of the deception of the whole beast. It's just silly and and it's very
0: dangerous. And it's funny as it, in the first part of uh, what you were just saying, talking about how like we're all like we all start with the mark of the beast. I was saying this sounds similar to my reformed theology and I would probably differ on this, but yeah, we, in, in my, you know, theology, we'd say we're all born depraved. Another way of saying, it, I would say we're all born with the mark of the beast. So sure. we, yeah, that's we, fine. No, we okay might parse that. that out different, but maybe different traditions understand that differently. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So last week we talked how John's concerns are very similar to what Jesus talks about in his, his admonition in The Sermon on the Mount, like you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and wealth, which we would see in 624. So this is just John preaching the Sermon on the Mount in a sense.
1: Yeah. One thing I've said before, and that is there's almost nothing, maybe the millennium, almost nothing in the book of Revelation that's not found anywhere else in the New Testament Mm -hmm. or in the scriptures as a whole. And the good thing about what the point that you just made and what we discussed last week is this gives more force to Matthew 6. You can't Mm -hmm. serve two masters, God and wealth. This is exactly what John's talking about. And as we discussed last week, for many American Christians, we look at, hey, why do you worry about food? Why do you worry about clothing? It's actually Jesus, I really don't. And all of a sudden, now we realize, oh, maybe the reason why I don't worry about food and clothing is because I've compromised with the beast. Mm. Oh, that just brought it back. And all of a sudden, oh, I thought worrying about food and clothing was something for the poor. Mm -hmm. And now I realize, Maybe it's worrying about food and clothing is a means of compromising with the beast. And maybe it's more pointed to the American church than we actually think.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just as we're you mentioned in the intro, this is something that we don't have the answers to necessarily. We have the framework, but we're still processing yeah. through. How could you live in a world where you're not compromising with the beast? Because it seems like every aspect of everything we do, we've talked about this before. We are both on devices right now. That were made by a product of the beast because there's nine year old kids in China who are making 60 cents a day who are putting these parts together. And it goes for everything. If I go to Target or any store, like everything is involved with this. So, what level of responsibility do we have? And what, like, how ascetic of a life should we live in terms of are we all supposed to renounce everything and live in trees like the desert fathers? What is our responsibility? How do we contextualize with our own culture? I know you don't have the answer, but how are we, how should we just start processing this?
1: I guess I can say a number of things. First off, because I always forget the name of the book and I remember it right now, I really encourage you to read The Freedom of Simplicity. And I'm talking mm-hmm. to the listeners by who's the writer of that book? I know you're Richard Foster, I think it is. Yeah. Is that it? I think, I, I think it's Richard Foster. The Freedom um, of Simplicity. It's going to challenge the socks off of you. And you can skip the first four chapters. It just talks about economics in the Bible and they're, they're good. But start in chapter five and you're going to go, okay. I, So this is something that we all have to grapple with. There's no answer that I can give or you can give, especially via this kind of medium. If we're sitting in our pastoral offices and someone's in for counseling, we can talk a little bit more personally. But I don't know the answer. It's something I grapple with. I think it's something that we all grapple with. It's Christian to grapple with it. It's important to grapple with it. I think to throw up our arms and go, I have no idea. I I have to have a computer for work. So I guess it's it's too simple of an answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, we need to grapple with it a little bit more. Like I'm thinking about travel. A lot of things I do requires travel. And you realize the, the damage that airplanes do and jet fuel does to global warming and all the implications of that. What? How do I deal with that? I think those are things that we have to wrestle with and, and figure out what that might mean. The next thing I'd say would be, we all struggle with this. Mm-hmm. This is a reality of, of the Christian life. If you feel overwhelmed, if you feel like, oh, this is too much. It's no, this is part of following the, following the lamb, and that is it's not easy. It's difficult. And it's also a reason why I think it's important to be as much as possible, if you can, to be part of a community, because we do this Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And we bear one of those burdens together. But we understand that some people are, that's harder for other people, some to do, because of trauma, whatever else it might be. But I just think it's something that we have to grapple with and figure out what that answer looks like. And someday, come, O Lord, we'll have it all figured out then.
0: One thing that I do is I teach a, a co-teacher who yeah. I work with. Yeah. We've taught a class at my church for the last number of years on politics. And yeah. it, it, we don't go through policy. We don't go through how Christians ought to vote. It's not a voter guide. It's really looking at just ethics and how do we love church members and right. who vote differently. And even how do we just process through something? And one of the things that we talk about, even when it comes to something like government involvement or uh, positions on war and violence, because there's a Christian spectrum. On these things. If you just survey yeah. the historic church, right. there's a spectrum of what Christians have believed. And I've challenged our folks to say, it's not always about the right answer. I think the right answer does matter, but you could come to the right answer. But if you haven't, actually haven't gone through the process of grappling yeah. with it, I don't think that's necessarily as God honoring. Mm. And you might come to something where your conscience or your conviction comes to something. But if it's just because like you said, you just throw your hands up in the air and whatever, right. it's apathy. We just, this is what we got to deal with it. How is that loving God with your mind? How is that actually having empathy and compassion for other people uh, mm-hmm. and really seeking after if this is the way it ought to be? You might arrive at the same conclusion that God might've said, yeah, but it, it's it, not everything is a checklist. Not everything is a, yes, you right. did it right. No, you did it wrong. While there are those sorts of absolutes, not everything is that. And I think God cares about the process on how we get there. Right. And I think that, yeah. that for I, I would use the term sanctified, that's part of our sanctification. That, that's how we're grown in ho- our holiness is yeah. it, are those processes, not just doing the right thing all the time. There's plenty exactly. of people who do the right thing who are just moralistics, moralists and behavioralists.
1: Yeah, let's go through chapter 14 verses two through the rest of the chapter. You wanna read, not through the rest of the chapter, but 14, two through five, you wanna read those verses? Sure.
0: So 14, two, and I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. This just really sounds like throne room, chapter four and five. Yes, up, right? yes, uh, yes. Going back in the text, that was my insertion. No uh-huh. one could learn that song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb, wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the lamb and in their mouth, no lie was found for they are blameless. So this uh, it, it seems to literally be talking about virgins men male male virgins right this is, is this specifically yeah. what this is talking about this is now we know who the 144,000 are
1: No remember when we discussed the 144,000 and the great multitude they were both described in warlike language as mm. like a holy army you number an army to determine the, the military strength of your army before you go into battle and that the counting of the 144,000 seemed to be such the great multitude had come out uh, with uh, palm branches, which is what you wave at the end of a military victory as you as you receive the army back. So there's this militaristic language of God being a holy warrior. Jesus is riding on a white horse. So the, it's this idea of holy war. Now remember again, holy war that's predicated on love, holy war that's predicated on us dying for our enemies and not killing them. We'll talk about Jesus' robe is dipped in blood in chapter 19. I think that's the blood of his own blood, not the blood of his enemies. The only weapon he has is, is, is a sword coming from his mouth. It's the words that he speaks, which is what the two witnesses fire, comes out of their mouths. It's what we speak. So it's this idea of holy warfare. In holy warfare, God goes before the army, right? The, the ark goes mm-hmm. before the army. God goes into the battle for us. He fights the battle for us, and we just become the instruments. through which. He, and in that, only men who were sexually pure were allowed to fight in holy wars. And what that meant was, men who do not have sex, even with their wives during the time of warfare. So how do we understand that
0: the, in the context of virginity? Cause it, it specifically yeah. says virgins. Is that just the only term that would be used that would capture that?
1: I think the use of virgin is just simply the opposite term. It's a strong word opposite of the porn kind of words and okay. porneo, the Greek word okay. for it. Right? Yeah. Which are these strong words implying sexual impurity. Yeah. So now you have virginity replying, implying the opposite of that. Okay. So I, I was going to allude briefly to the story of David and Bathsheba. Sure. So Uriah is off fighting war mm-hmm. and David has sex with his wife. He, he rapes her. Let's. I think that's the only yep. way to read the yep. text. He, he yep. rapes her. She becomes pregnant. David's, oh no, what am I going to do? I know. I'll call Uriah home from war, let him sleep with his wife and let him think it's his kid. But Uriah comes home and he sits at the door and refuses to go in and sleep with his wife because he knows that during warfare he's not allowed to have relations even with his wife. So the irony is he's Uriah the Hittite mm-hmm. but he's obeying the law more than the king is mm-hmm. who's already committed adultery and then the king goes on and has him sent to the front lines have him murdered. Mm-hmm. So that's an illustration of of a holy warrior. So that's all it is. It's it is a, an expression that I often say Revelation 14:4 B is my favorite verse in the Bible because <laughs> yes. these are the ones yes. who follow the lamb, wherever he yeah. go. But the problem with that is 14.4a yeah. Yeah. is, oh, they were virgins and they kept themselves <laughs> pure from defying themselves with women. And so I wish that wasn't in there. But in that culture, that would yeah. make sense of them being portrayed as men going off into warfare because women mm. didn't go off into warfare at the time.
0: Okay okay let's back it up just a little bit so in verse yeah. two john says i heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters like the sound of a uh, loud thunder like i i had mentioned uh, earlier this sounds this is recalling back to chapter four and five throne room language right
1: it does sound like that and here's actually something very interesting there's three times in the book of revelation we hear the expression of voice like many waters mm-hmm. the first time was in chapter chapter one verse 15 Jesus' voice was like the sound of many waters. So now the voice of the hundred and forty-four thousand is being described like the voice of Jesus, mm. which goes along with what I've been saying before, and that is the people of God are described in Christ-like ways because we are the body of Christ today. We are the rep- They'll know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you act like me, they'll know who I am and that you are my followers, my disciples. We do and act like Jesus does. And so it's not surprising in that sense then to describe the 144,000 as having a voice that sounds like Jesus's voice. But something else that's interesting, the third time a voice like many waters occurs is in chapter 19, verse six, describing the voice of the great multitude. So that provides another evidence that the great multitude and the 144,000 are The the same groups of people because they're united by the same descriptions there. So that's all it is. Now they're singing a new song, it says in verse three. And the new song, of course, is a song sung after a military victory. So there's two ways of looking at Revelation 14, this particular passage that these are that John's having a view of the future. He sees them in Mount Zion, the holy, the new Jerusalem, the, the holy city that hasn't come down yet in chapter 21 when it comes down. It, it's a future look. Or you can look at this as a future look, but looking at the people of God present with future eyes. Hmm. Words, we are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. And that leads us to be Jesus-like. Ultimately, it leads us to crosses. But we can also look at that as we're the ones who follow the lamb in eternity. That's what we're going to be doing for eternity.
0: So as we wrap this up, and once again, we're finishing out in after first five of chapter 14. And this is because John's not originally writing in chapter and first division. So yeah. this is just a, a logical place to stop in the flow. It is. So you th- the section that we're really dealing with, we're wrapping up the talk of beasts and who belongs to the beast, as well as the lamb and who belongs to the lamb. So this is yeah, the, yeah. rather than wasting time, and I'm going to say that rather than wasting time trying to figure out and decode who the things are yeah. and how to look for them and how to not do that or whatever, it's better to look at, okay, who does our allegiance apply to? It's looking at the thing you want to go after rather than the thing you want to avoid. And I'll, I'll use this illustration. I think i have used it before. As a motorcycle rider, if anyone rides a motorcycle, you know that wherever you look, that's where you will go. So in a car, we oftentimes look at what we want to avoid and so we'll swerve and we'll look at that thing in the road. On a motorcycle, if you look at it, you will hit it. (laughs) So you look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. And and so this is the same type of idea here. It's follow the lamb. Don't worry about, look avoid things, but don't get hung up in trying to decode and figure out who this beast is guard yourselves from him, guard yourselves from infiltration. He's coming after you and follow the lamb. And that might cost you, but it's okay. You're redeemed. You're good.
1: Yeah. And even maybe putting a, a little bit larger perspective. So the section began in 12 verse one, mm-hmm. the section ultimately run, runs through 16 verse 20. And we'll talk about that later, but this is certainly a dividing line and we'll discuss 14, six and following and how that fits in. And we'll we'll do that in one or two weeks, by the way, we'll do 14, six through sixteen twenty maybe in two weeks. Uh, and mm-hmm. then we'll get into the, to the great harlot in chapter 17. But 12, 1 through 14, 5 is giving more detail and clarification as to the war that the beast wages in chapter 11, verse 7 against the two witnesses.
0: Mm-hmm. He comes
1: up out of the abyss, he makes war against the two witnesses, and he kills them. And oh, what's going on? We find out, as we said before, this war is with the wage by the devil in all of history against God's people, tried to, de- to destroy Christ, didn't do that. Now he's kicked out of heaven. He's really angry, he knows this time is short. He's after the offspring of the woman, chapters 12, verse 17. And then chapter 12, 18 and 13, 1, it's he empowers two beasts, 13, 1 Hmm. and 13, 11, to do his work for him. The first beast is empire. The second beast is the religious propaganda wing of empire and all that, though don't make such a great distinction between the two of them. They work hand in many ways. And it's the effort to overcome and diminish, hinder, Or or even fully tempt the people of God from fulfilling their mission of Mm. laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Ah, now we need to endure. And now we know a little bit more clearly what it is that we have to endure.
0: Mm. That's good and not good. Yeah. 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 Come, uh, O Lord, becomes the best answer, right? Come. Exactly. And as we were reading that earlier, I was just thinking. This goes back to chapter three, verse 21. I want to say overcome Mm -hmm. just as I overcame and you sit on my throne with me. So this is part of the gig.
1: Yeah. And 12, 11, the the ones who overcome Mm -hmm. are the ones who did not love their life, even when faced with death. Yeah. And we'll Mm -hmm. see another one in chapter 14. We'll save it for later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll continue on next week. Continue through chapter 14. We've solved all the issues of the beast probably not as sexy as people wanted it to be, Uh, but it's much more real and I I would say terrifying because it's like, oh, this is actually closer to you and it looks like this is a shape shifter. Uh, This is something that you actually don't realize how close this is to you.
1: You're not saying that I'm not sexy. You're saying, oh, the chapter that we, okay, okay. I just want to make-
0: We we haven't released the 2024, Rob, the Determined Truth calendar (laughs) that we did. (laughs) That's a great idea. (laughs) The men That's a, a great idea, to... actually. We should do Danny. one of those.
1: Yeah, we, me, you and Danny, we could will just come up with some some different poses in uh, on the golf course and with our microphones. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, our wives. That be, be, the... be a top 10 seller for sure. Okay. We'll, we'll make, top Christian three seller, bookstore can... near you. And yeah. Yeah. Our, our,
0: yeah. Our wives will be the three that buy them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll be like
0: L. Ron Hubbard, we'll buy our own copies and then resell yeah. them. There you go. Or okay. Mark Driscoll. He did the same thing. Did he really? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. With his marriage book. Yeah. That's all. That's that was right. the whole thing. I, I did yeah. hear that. Yeah. All right, everyone come back next week. We'll catch you then. I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we would love for you to share the work of determined truth with others. Please follow this podcast and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast. Then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people.